on vacation and you come back, you got the uh, pulpit to fill back in. And it's a great feeling, but at the same time, it's uh, a little bit of a challenge, no matter how you look at it, uh, because the fact is, is there are so many things that we want to look at. We're going to take our Bibles and we're going to uh, finish up in Revelation chapter 12 before we move on to Revelation chapter 13. Uh, on the back are new notes that we have, and also uh, you'll notice that we have a bit of a timeline that we put into the bulletin as well. Now, I will say this to anyone that would like to have copies uh, from the uh, Facebook people that we have tuned in, as well as others, if you would like to have a copy of any of the materials we have, please let me know, and I'll be glad to uh, send you not only the slides, um, We'll also give you anything that I have for my notes. Now, I understand this is that there is a lot of controversy that's in this world. Uh, I can't tell you how many times that I, I grieve when uh, my dearest friends, <coughs> that I count as friends and brothers and sisters in Christ, want to argue with me over so many things. And I'm not going to get involved with an argument. Uh, I had one brother reach out, and, and uh, he was talking about the holidays and things like that. And I said, I understand where you're coming from, but I said, we also need to understand we have an opportunity to tell the world of Jesus Christ and why he came. One of the things that I tire about so much from, our, from fellow brothers and sisters is they'll say, I worship Jesus Christ and his birth every day of the year. And yet I've never heard a sermon preached on it by those individuals. And the reality is, is that when you go in and take a look at the majority of the Old Testament, there's a lot of indications that are there about what had to be fulfilled. Well, Matthew, Luke, Galatians, and other books show that fulfillment. And if we are going to really understand that fulfillment, we've got to allow ourselves to go in and be righteous in our studies. Well, the one last thing we had in uh, Revelation chapter 12. Let's go down to verse, uh, if you will, let's go down to verse 13. And when the dragon saw that he was cast in the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. This is again Satan wanting to per bring persecution against Christ. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness into her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the face of the serpent. Once again, this is going to be very important for us to understand times, times, and half a times. And the serpent cast out his mouth water as had flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which kept the commandments of God and had the testimony of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Again, Father, we want to thank you for the blessings that you allow us to enjoy, not only from the reading of thy word, but Lord, the entirety of what we are about ready to uh, witness and to see. Help us, dear Father, to take these things to heart. Help us to grow from them. Help us to be the men and women of God that we should be. Lord, we're living in perilous times. Uh, you know, and as I had a discussion with someone this week, it's very possible that we can see the Lord's return imminently, in immediately, 
And yet, Lord, I wonder how many of us are truly prepared for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I tread lightly when I say that I really want to say that I hear from you, well done. And Lord, I don't feel worthy of such a, a statement from you that you would see the work that I've done as being done well. And Lord, you know my sins, you know my thoughts, you know my, my shortcomings, you know everything about me. And Lord, I readily confess before you my faults and my failures that I might be able to be a man of God, pure in motive and pure in deed. And everything that I do, Lord, and guide and bless me, I pray thee, Father, help me to understand the things which you give us. So lead us and bless and provide. Guide us and we pray thee for it's in Christ we pray. Amen. One of the things that I, I discovered as I did a lot of studies, I've done a lot of research, you know, over time, and God has given me the opportunity to do such research, is that whenever we study the Word of God, when we ever have the opportunity to study the book of Revelation or anything else, that we literally understand that this is a book of prophecy, it's a book of history, it is a book that is present right now. Like all the other books of the Bible, there is an application for right now. You know, the reality is, is that, and I tell this to people, in prophecy speaking, we see over and again that we have a responsibility from the Word of God to be able to say, yes, this is prophecy. I'm one of those that I do not believe that all of the Old Testament is fulfilled when it comes to prophecy. I believe there's still a lot. But remember this, that the primary reason for the Old Testament was not for the millennial reign or anything else of Christ, though it's mentioned. It is the coming of Christ. Understand this, the Jews were looking for Messiah to come. Remember this, that the Samaritan woman said, when he, which is called the Christ, shall come, he will tell us all things. That's what they were looking for, the coming of Jesus Christ. When Jesus was asked of the apostles, now will you restore Remember this was in Acts chapter 1 verses 7 and 8. He said, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father had put in his own power. We don't know when Israel is going to be returned, but we're seeing in the book of Revelation that return. If the Lord was not going to restore Israel, why didn't he just say, you've messed up? You know, the church is really Israel. We need to make sure we have a good understanding of that. He doesn't say that. And yet, the mystery that so many people want to bring in is all these little things that are going back in to uh, answer the questions that people want to generate themselves. One of those being, well, are we living in the gen or was the generation that the Lord spoke of in himself, has that generation already passed? Well, my thinking is, Jesus never mentioned, matter of fact, if you go back to Matthew chapter 24, we're not going to do it right now, he was answering the questions, not in a chronological order, but he was answering the question to the apostles as they were presented to him, and he said, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. He was very clear on that. Then he turns around and says, as it was in the days of Noah, as in the days of Noah, which means that there was not a preparation, there was not a readiness, and in fact, I will tell you this right now, if there's ever a time that the Lord can return, that there isn't a readiness amongst his people, including those that believe as we do, it is right now. Very few people really believe in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we really believe the Lord is going to come 
as soon as he said he was going to come, wouldn't we be more intent, wouldn't we be more interested in letting the message go out into this world? And of course, I hear, hear so many people saying, well, we're living in the last days. What's that got to do with the price of eggs in China? Really, if we are knowing for sure that we're living in the last days, then we should have a greater urgency to tell others of Jesus Christ. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. The one thing that we see is the return back. And how do we know, beginning at verse 1, who is going to be the attacker? In Revelation chapter 12, verse 1, And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. This again is Israel. We pointed this out to everyone, and I will constantly be in reference to Israel about that. And she being with child cried, travailing in birth, and pain to be delivered, meaning Jesus Christ. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head. And his tail drew a third part of the stars of heaven, and did cast them to earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child, who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she hath a place prepared of God, and that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. Once again, there's two things that we look at. The past. What we see in the past is Israel in the past. The identification of Israel in the past. If there's anything that identifies Israel today, it is the star David. But in the past, it was always the 12 stars, the sun and the moon. Those were always things that identified Israel. We also see that Jesus Christ came out of the tribe of Judah. We see, we're going to look at that more and more as this month progresses, if the Lord should tarry. We're also going to be taking a look at the other things that are there. These are all historical things. Presently speaking, this woman is given the opportunity to see Christ for who he truly is, and she now stands up for a period of 2,300, or 2,003 score, uh, let me get it right here, 203 score days, 1,203 score days, meaning three and a half years in the Jewish calendar. We're also shown in our reading that we had this morning that while she is in the wilderness, she will also have the opportunity for a time, times times, if you will, time times, and half a times, meaning three and a half years. 1,260 days, once again, is three and a half years. So there is a correlation that happens here in chapter 12. So where do we see the angel, or where do we see the red dragon, as it was cast from heaven, having the crown upon their head? And I want to bring this back to you when it comes to Nimrod and the association that we have with Nimrod. Now, these are only pictures. These are only depictions. We do not know what Nimrod looked like because there was no standing effort to really recognize who Nimrod or what he looked like. There are different a single horn that comes out of his head. There's different claims out of that showing that he was a mighty hunter from the Lord. But Simulamus, we know a little bit about her 
because of the historical standing that is there. Now, a lot of people might want to criticize my standing, but she was known as the Queen of Heaven. Why was she known as the Queen of Heaven? Because she declared herself to be uh, a virgin, and she was suddenly impregnated with a child. Now, it's interesting. She had a son named Nimrod. Then she declares herself a virgin, and now she uh, is going to be pregnant with his child. So during this entire time, his name was called Tammuz, which in many ways Satan uses as a derivative. Now here's the thing that's really interesting to me. Satan cannot stand to be not called a god. In fact, everywhere that you look at mankind, you'll see that they recognize that there was only one true supreme god. And whether it is in uh, what we would call German mythology or Greek mythology or Roman mythology, anywhere you go to, there was always one supreme god, even Egyptian gods. There was always a female of the earth, virgin, that was impregnated by that almighty god. That woman was always brought into place. Her name was called Semiramis. She has multiple names in this. You can also look from the two Babylons uh, by Woodrow. You can also read that for yourself. She also declared, or, or there was also a child that was born out of this wedlock, if you will, or out of this impregnation, and it was half male, half god. We've heard him as referred to as Hercules. We, we've heard him referred to by every other name, you know, under the sun. But the reality is, Tammuz is the one that really became out of that. He was half God and half man. May I point this out to you? That is, shows you that it's mythology. Because with Christ, he is full God and full man. He's 100% God and 100% man. You figure out the math. There's a lot of people that they want to scoff at that because they said, how can that possibly be? The only difference is there is the introduction of a demon god. Uh, how many of you all have realized that right now they're really playing this up called Loki uh, on, by Disney? And Loki is the German equivalent of an evil god that came out of uh, German mythology. There are other wicked gods. Hades was another one out of Greek. And every one of them are depicted as a kind, benevolent. Do you realize that Satan doesn't want you to think of him as evil and wicked all the time? And so Satan, in, the, in all these statements, he is saying that I am God. No, you're not a God. And there's always the missing of one part of the Godhead. There's always the missing of the Holy Spirit. Now think about that for a moment. And yet for our Trinity, and notice there is no woman in the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's where we're at on this. And so the woman was found The Roman Catholic Church has already decreed that Mary is the Queen of Heaven. The same title that Semiramis had. Now, we also know this, and I want you to go over to Genesis chapter 11, and, and we finished up there last, last time that we studied together. In Genesis chapter 11, there is also the depiction of this tower that is called Babel. Now, once again, I only use this as an example, not because that it, it really shows 
<coughs> the uh, Tower of Babel as we know it. But may I point this out to you is that the Tower of Babel probably grew up out of Babylon. There is one little place up in Babylon right now that they still don't know what that tower is all about. But it is in Babylon. The reality of it is that there was a cry amongst the people. Look at verse 4. And they said, Go to, let us build a city and a town whose top is in the heaven, and let us make a name, let us make a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Do you realize that God had already given a decree in Genesis chapter 9 for Shem, Ham, and Japheth to go out and to repopulate the earth, to replenish the earth? That was the decree. But the people had moved down to the valley of Shinar and to the plains of Shinar, which they found favorable, and there they began to build a tower. Whether it was by enslavement, we don't know. But the one thing we do know is that they began to build a tower, and their whole objective was, we're going to defy God in his command. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. Let's stop there for a moment. How many times do we have people all the time that they're either going to be on Facebook or whatever, and they're going to say, well, I agree with you, but... No, 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 wait a minute. You, you, you don't have to have any buts in there. If you agree with me, then say so. If you disagree with me, then say so. The reality is, and we see this all the time, the building of the Tower of Babel was in direct defiance to God. Why do we know that? Because they were building a tower to heaven. They hoped to literally lift up their puny little fish to God and say, How But at the same time, we also know this, is that they were building a tower. There are those indications, and I just saw this on, um, not too long ago on the History Channel, how that the Aztecs and the Incas had human sacrifices on the top of their ziggurats. Well, where did they learn that? They learned that from here. Do you realize that the only tower that continues to exist after the flood was a ziggurat? We found the ziggurat in Egypt. We have found it in India. We have found it in, um, in Muslim nations, if you will. We have found it in Japan and China. We don't see them made out of stone. They made them out what we call a pagoda. How many of you ever realized that a pagoda is nothing more than a ziggurat? We have found it in the Americas. We found it with the Aztecs. We found it with the Incas. And in fact, I'm going to just tell you something that I think is very interesting. How many of you have ever been to Serpent Mound in Ohio? If you ever get a chance, go up to Serpent Mound. And do you know they have been baffled for years why there is an egg in the mouth of the serpent? Ancient history declares, and this is true, that many cultures believe that a serpent pushed the ark into the waters until it landed and out came forth life. In China, they believe that it was on the back of a turtle. And that, that egg came out of, out of China, it came out on the ground, the egg broke forth and out came life. In Greek mythology, they believe that Venus came riding in on a shell and she released all these people upon the shores. There's another culture, another culture that literally believes a serpent pushed an egg until it reached the shores. How many of you realize that 
the simplicity of mankind is enough to baffle men. It's there. It's true. The reality is, is that when this was done, they were literally going to destroy even more, and God came down to visit this tower. Look what the Lord said. In verse 5, the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the children of men building, and the Lord said, Behold, the people is one. Where's the problem? Shem, one. Ham, one. Japheth, one. So it didn't matter which way you wanted to go with it. They were all of one language, and they have all one language. This they begin to do, and nothing will restrain from them which they have imagined to do. What did he end up doing? Confounding the languages. And isn't it interesting that though he confounded the languages, they carried their religion with them. Not the religion of one true God. They carried pagan religion with them. You've got to understand this. It is the pagan religion that we face every day, wherever we go, and those people that we face head on are going to be of pagan beliefs. They are going to believe in uh, the Christmas time. And again, you, whether you want to celebrate Christmas or not, that's fine. I, like I just said, we use it as an order to tell others of Christ. But may I bring this out to you that we as Baptists are just as bad because we have become more bitter, we've become more angry at the things of God this time of year than we do any other time of the year. I say this, is let us use this time of year to tell others of Christ in a very powerful way. Let's use this for an opportunity. But may I point this out to you also, that many times what we put into practice is a pagan origin. Now, you want to celebrate the birth of Christ, then don't call it Christmas. Find another word for it, the birth of Christ. Celebrate it. It's hard to distance ourselves from paganism. It is. It truly is hard. Because we see it danced in front of our eyes from the time we're babies. And right now, I'll tell you the one thing that really bothered me was there was supposedly a school play and here was the birth of Jesus and guess who was at the birth of Jesus? A guy in a red suit. <coughs> really? That's what we're going to celebrate in the birth of Christ? So the reality is, is that this happened many, many years ago, long after, well, we know that it was the creation, then it was the flood, then we see the Tower of Babel, after we have the population. Now let's go to chapter 13, and again, if we want to add some more to it, we can, but look what it says in the first 10 verses of chapter 13. And I stood upon the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, the same beast that we see in Revelation chapter 12, verse 1. And upon, his, uh, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his head the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were like the feet of a bear, and his, head, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave his power and his seat and with great authority. Once again, the same information that we are shown in the book of Daniel chapter 7. And I saw one of the heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and the world wandered after the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, which gave power to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast, who is able to make war with him? Now let's stop there for a moment. Now in the notes that I have before you all tonight, today, notice that we're going to go down to verse 10. 
But the reality is, and if you will, Brother Joe, go ahead to the very next slide. I want you to see uh, two things that are of, of vital importance. Number one, the seven hills of Rome. Now, the seven hills of Rome, I believe, are a depiction of Revelation chapter 12, verse 1, and Revelation 13, verse 1. These are the actual hills. Now, I know they're hard to, to understand and things like that, but these are the actual hills that Rome is built upon. Uh, I have been to Rome. And, uh, and I remember this is that when my spouse and my, my kids were younger, I said, when you go to Rome, I said, you're going to see paganism like you've never seen it before. And there was a scoffing by them. I said, I know it's there. And one of the first things that I saw was that they had the wolf symbol and the two babies that had been raised by the wolf sucking on one of the tits. Now again, I saw that and I went, how many people know what this is all about? I went into many of their church buildings, so-called church buildings, and everything was the appeal of Almighty God, Mary appealing after Jesus, and Jesus appealing to God. How many of y'all know that that's there? It's throughout. There's the relic worship. There's so many things that are there for us to see. But it all begins with these seven hills. Now, when the time that Daniel was upon the scene and he began to talk about the uh, coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and how that there was going to be this wicked one that was going to rise up and that Jesus would be born during this evil period of time, there was very few people that understood the power that we were beginning to see out of this generation. In fact, let's go to the next slide. And this one is so important. I want you to get this one just for a moment. This is a timeline. Now, this is not the timeline that I've added to you all, but this is the beginning of the timeline. Now, I actually have an arrow uh, on the very end. I, for some reason, I think I made it too large for it to uh, occur. But there is the creation. Then we see Adam that was created, then the flood, then the call of Abraham. And if you notice, the call of Abraham was about 1,680 years before the birth of Christ. Now, how do I know that? Matthew chapter 1 says that there was 560 years from Abraham to David. There's 1,600, or there's 560 years from David to the Babylonian captivity, and from Babylon to the birth of Christ, another 560. So once again, I can target this date very carefully. During this time frame between the flood and the life of Jesus was the rise and the fall of Israel. We see the glory of Israel. We see the power of Israel. We see the calling of Abraham. We see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And there's a lot of people that they're now arguing whether it is true. And if so, one people go ahead and uh, claim with them the Ishmaelites. Ishmael is not a part of this. And please understand that. Uh, again, I'm not trying to be a mean person or anything like that. Ishmael is Ishmael. The Lord God. I no longer am associated with this Ishmael. If you don't believe me, go read Genesis chapter 17. We also see that when Jesus was born, this was from this point on 4,000 years that occurred at this point. So I had someone ask me the other day, how is it that we know that it was from the time of creation to the time of Jesus Christ? And the only reason we know that is by going to the series of people that were 
the Israelites that from the to the time of the flood to the time of Noah was twenty six hundred years. How many of y'all knew that? And it is written down for us to record it and to understand it. Once I, I did a study on the uh, coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I did beginning with Abraham's lineage, or excuse me, with Adam's lineage, and then we had uh, Adam. We had the day that he had, he gave birth to uh, uh, his son and his son's sons, and you know all that goes in. And I took it all the way down to the time of Noah, and I came to this number. Now. If I take it down to this number, then there comes that number about Abraham. And everyone says, well, how do I know when Abraham was born? Guess what? The book of Genesis details that too. Through the lineage of Shem. It's a lot narrow, a lot more narrow in this image, but we begin to see it. I'm going to show you something as well. How many of you all realized that Jacob lived with Abraham? How many of you all knew that? Sure does. So let's go back and look at that. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 11, and I'll prove that to you right now. Hebrews chapter 11. And I want you to see this in verse 9. And if you don't have this written down, you should have it written down. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise as, a strange, as, as in a strange country, dwelling in the tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob. That is in the Hebrew. That is in God's Word. How many of you all realize, and if you go back and look at the lineage, you can see that, there, that it's there as well. The heirs of him and of the same promise. The promise that was given. This is so amazing. Even the Apostle Paul said, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. It's not It's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That is the blessedness. That is the power. And then when you go back in and you see the promises that Jacob gave uh, to his sons and the blessings, he comes to, to Judah and he said, You are the lion's whelped. You are the scepter that is never going to pass. And again, this is all part of this lineage that is here right now. So reality is, is that we are now looking at the time of the Gentiles, and we are opening up chapter 13 by also focusing on Daniel chapter 7, the reaction of Acts chapter 28. We're going to get into why I'm saying Acts 28 and Romans chapter 11. Let's go to Daniel chapter 7 for a moment, and I'll show you what I'm talking about. In Daniel chapter 7, notice if you will, let's go down to verse 23. Notice again it says, Thus he said, The fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon the earth, which shall be the first from all kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, and shall tread it down, and break it in pieces. So this is the one that we have to keep focus on. When Jesus Christ came to this earth, there was already the Roman Empire. But here's the thing. How many of you realize the Roman Empire is in dormancy, it's never been defeated. There's another hat, and this goes all the way back to Nimrod. And once again, I made mention of this to you all last, uh, the last time when we studied together. And I said, if you really want to understand it, go back and look at the word Pontifus Maximus. That was a title that was handed over to Nimrod the great pontiff, the, the one who was between God and man. Now get this, from that point on, 
that title remained until it reached Nimrod, or Nebuchadnezzar, excuse me, and then it was passed on to the Mede-Persians, and it was passed on to Alexander the Great. How many of y'all knew that? Once again, we say we study, but we don't really study as we should. Now, here's the thing that's interesting. The Caesars refused that title. When that title came to them, they refused it because they understood that meaning you as a man are going to be the representative to God. But one Roman Catholic bishop who was, by the way, a Baptist at that time, his name was Gregory, and he accepted the title of Pontifus Maximus. And literally, that title has passed on from Pope to Pope ever since. How many of you knew that? The Roman Catholic Church continues because of popery. Now, here's the other thing that's interesting. Notice again, and this goes back to chapter 12 and 13 out of the book of Revelation. Notice again that this title remains with seven out of ten. Now, may I point this out to you? We're going to see 7 out of 10 all the time. That 7 out of 10 were the 10 kingdoms that were, were representation of the book or of uh, the Roman Empire, if you will. Do you realize that there has been three attempts to resurrect the Roman Empire? Of course, we know of the Roman Empire. We also know that during the days of Charlemagne, when he was the king over France, he tried to raise up also the Roman Empire. But how many of you all know that the Third Empire was called the Third Reich? Do you realize that why Germany wanted to have the power? They wanted it because they tried to resurrect the Third Empire. Now, how many of us knew that? Now, again, I only say these things because I, I have studied them and I have prepared myself, but the Roman Catholic Church is not dead. May I point this out to you? That literally, there was a celebration when the ten kingdoms came together around the European nations, and if you ever take a look at it, they wanted once again to say, we have now created a new financial empire in which we all except the euro. How many of y'all know that? The euro is a, a European dollar, if you will. And reality is, is that outside of England, which also has pounds and euros, and Germany, which has the, the Deutschmark and euros, no other country has any other uh, influence. Now, I could be wrong on that, but that's the only two I know of. But the reality is, is that for the most part, they have to accept the euro, no matter how it may be bringing down their society a little bit. And this is the area that I want us to look at even as we go in. The very next slide begins with, you know, matter of fact, let's back up one slide just for a moment. You notice at the end of the 2,000 years, and I believe that we're right here. I believe we're at this moment right now. I think we're at the end of the Gentile age. And I believe that at any moment, the rapture can occur. Now, if the rapture occurs, and I've had so many people saying, well, you know, you believe in the rapture, but there's no indication that it's rapture. It's not even written down in rapture. There are so many words that are not included. But we, as English people, and 
that we are English subjects and we have studied the English, we use many words that are represented, are represented in the language. How many of you all realize there's no such, such, such thing as dinosaur in the Bible? How many of you know that? Raise your hands. How many of you all realize that in place of dinosaur is the word dragon? There are dragons upon this earth, and they were called great dragons. How many of you all have looked at Bohemoth in the book of Job? Bohemoth who sucked up water. That's not a hippopotamus. I'm sorry. It says that his tail is like a cedar tree. How many of you all realize that a hippopotamus has a switch for a tail? There's also something called Leviathan, which can breathe out fire, and they have now discovered a dinosaur that had internally the abilities to belch out fire. How many of y'all know that? It's there. And yet, the more that we think we understand something, the worse it really is for us because we don't understand it completely. The reality is, is that missionary is not in the Bible either. Most closely, we have the evangelists, and yet the first person that we acclaim as missionary was, a, was Paul and Barnabas. Did they not start churches? Did they not do the work of an evangelist? Did they not go forth as was required of them? So I believe we're falling at the very end when the rapture should occur. How do I know that? Let's go to the book of Romans, and let's go to chapter 11. Now, I want everybody to see this. If the Apostle Paul was incorrect in his teaching, and again, then why is it in our Bibles? How many of us really believe that it was by inspiration of the Holy Spirit that these things were written? But in Romans chapter 11, verse 25, and he says, I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits. Now, please underline that if it's not underlined in your Bible. Uh, lest you should be wise in your own conceits that blindness is, in part, has happened to Israel. <laughs> now, wait a minute. Is blindness happening to the church? Is blindness happening to, is this singling out the church at that time? I don't think so. I think it's singling out Israel. Until the fullness of of the Gentiles. Do you realize that in chapter 28 of the book of Acts, we find that the Apostle Paul then washed his hands, shook off the dust off his, off his garment, and said, I am only going to the Gentile people. That's in Acts chapter 28. And then we open up with Romans chapter 1 to find that fulfillment. But once again, Paul writes to the Romans. This is to the Romans. There's a full detailed account of salvation, of the church, how everything comes into order. And then again in chapter 11, he goes, but don't think that you are finished. You have a responsibility to preach the gospel until God is done with you. Verse 26. And so all Israel shall be saved. I've had so many people that they fall over that word all. But I'm going to show you a different verse here in just a minute. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the Deliverer. That is Old Testament. That's not New Testament. And who was he come to deliver? Israel. Not the Gentile Israel. Sorry. 
and shall turn ungodliness from Jacob. Since when was the church ever called Jacob? For this is my covenant unto them, which I shall take away their sins. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. Underline this. But as touching the election, do you realize verse 26 and verse 28 are tied together? When it says all Israel, and that is really referring to those that are going to go into the wilderness to escape the wrath of Satan. All right, well, it's now 10 till. It's time for us to finish up, and uh, let's get ready for our next service. So, Father, again, thank you for your blessings. Help us to understand the things that are written. Guide and bless now in Christ we pray. Amen. We're dismissed.